0: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
2: And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. But I want to start out with John Thune, the Republican from South Dakota, the senator, came out in opposition, apparently, to giving Americans a one time $600 check, saying, well, some people are already getting unemployment benefits, which are, by the way, going to run out in another two weeks. Um, some people are already getting unemployment benefits, so they would be double dipping. They would they would be getting an added benefit. We can't have that. And, and people wonder, where the hell does this come from? You know, is it just that they really hate working people, and they really think that the billionaires who fund them and the big corporations that pay for their campaigns are the only real humans on Earth? Well, no, it's not that. And, you know, I've talked about this before on the program, but I think it, it bears restating John Calvin back in the day, and we're talking back in the 16th century, right, or maybe the early 17th century. John Calvin, a religious leader in Europe, Scotland, as I recall, was struggling with the question. And and, and frankly, you know, the modern Calvinist church is not quite as crazy as all this, but neo-Calvinism still survives. They were struggling with the question. If it's true what the bible says that we're all you know for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god we are all born out of a woman's womb and therefore are covered with original sin that's you know right there in the bible right then if we're all sinners and we're all terrible people at heart if thomas hobbes was right then how do we identify who the good people are who should be running our government because if somebody has to be in charge And the Calvinistic perspective is, well, you've identified the good people by knowing who God blessed. And then, of course, the question is, well, how do you know who God gave blessings to? And their answer is, look at the rich people. Obviously, God made them rich. And so, therefore, the rich people should run the world. The first chapter of Russell Kirk's 1951-52 book, The Conservative Mind, the book that lit Barry Goldwater and William F. Buckley on fire and started the modern conservative movement, the book that to this day is quoted by Republicans. The first chapter is all about Edmund Burke, the British conservative. During the American Revolutionary era, Thomas Paine spent two weeks at Burke's house on his way to France to get arrested in the French Revolution and got so pissed off at Burke, they had such huge arguments during those two weeks, that Thomas Paine wrote an entire book rebutting Burke. It's called uh, The Rights of Man. It's still in print. But Burke was the guy who famously said, You know, it does me no harm if a man is allowed to engage in a profession as servile as making candles or cutting hair. But if such a man is allowed to vote or participate in government, it does society considerable violence. I'm paraphrasing, but you can find the quote, it's all over the place. That is what's going on. These Republicans, like John Thune, these other Republicans, they all believe that, you know, if you really want to make sure that good people are in charge, smart people are in charge, people who understand how things work, it's got to be the rich people. And the more power that's acquired by working class people, as happened during the period from the 1930s until the 1980s, when we had the, the fastest growing, strongest middle class in the history of the world, much less American history, a middle class that was actually growing faster than the rich, between 1940 and 1980. The conservatives looked at that and said, wait a minute, that middle class is getting way too much power. Reagan pointed it out. Women are burning bras. Kids are refusing to go to war. They're taking drugs. They're having sex. Oh, my God. They've got too much money. They've got too much leisure time. They can go to college for free. That's crazy. This was the Reagan argument that conservatives picked up. So why is anybody shocked? When Mitch McConnell and John Thune and Marco Rubio and all the rest of them, Rick Scott, are all sitting around going, we shouldn't be giving this money to working people. It just gives them more political power. You know, we don't want that to happen. We have to drive a stake through the heart of this neo-Calvinist, neo-conservative Republican Party. It's time to just like say that's it. And here's another dimension of it. While the rich people are living in their private bubbles, when was the last time you heard about a, a billionaire getting COVID? Oh, you haven't? Neither have I. I wonder why. Well, because they live in, you know, their gated mansions and their gated communities or on their private islands like Ivanka and Jared just bought down off the coast of Florida. And and the the servants that they have live in, and so they aren't exposed to COVID. And, you know, it's like, it's like royalty, But the rest of us? Well, it turns out that the Trump administration wanted the rest of us infected. Honest to God, the Trump administration wanted as many Americans as possible infected. A lot of people scratched their heads last week when Donald Trump in in a, you know, it wasn't a press conference, but in, you know, in one of his conversations with the press, somebody said, well, you know, you've got 15 million Americans who are infected now. And Trump was like, wow, we're getting close to 15% of the population. Well, 15 million Americans is actually one-third of 15% of the population. You know, it's about 4% of the population. But, but nonetheless, Trump was like, good, good, we're getting there. See, they had this theory that if everybody got infected, or if a lot of people get inf- got infected, we would have herd immunity. And therefore, everything would be good. It literally has never worked before with any disease. It didn't work with polio. It didn't work with measles. It didn't work with, I mean, you know, you could argue that it worked with chickenpox, sort of. But, you know, it's not that deadly a disease, frankly. And it wasn't until the mid-1950s that we even had a vaccine. But it has really never worked with any kind of serious disease that kills a lot of people. And that's why we have 300,000 dead Americans and on the other side of the break, I'm gonna tell you what has happened to the, I think we're up to 17 million Americans infected now. What is happening to a sizable percentage of those 17 million Americans, many of whom are gonna need health care for the rest of their lives for ongoing disabilities that the Republican party doesn't want you to have. In fact, between 10 and 20 million Americans have lost their health insurance in the last year because they lost their jobs with COVID. Because of the COVID epidemic. And then you've got these people who are, you know, like the guy who was in charge of security at the White House. I think his last name was Bailey. Um, he, he, he was three months in the hospital. He had his right foot and lower leg amputated and his left toe amputated. And now he's facing massive hospital bills. And yes, he had full hospitalization, the best the federal government offers. And he's still facing massive hospital bills. Not to mention the fact that he's got to retrofit his house and his car and everything else because now he's permanently disabled. So I'm going I'm to give you the details of what long-term COVID actually is, what COVID actually does to people who don't die. Amazing study that was just published over on Vox.com. I'll show sure that with you after the break. But here we have this guy from the, from the Trump administration saying, it would be best if we opened up and flooded the zone with COVID. This. Is the Tom Hartman program, which is why Trump's been doing maskless rallies and, and why Ma- Mike Pompeo had tried to have maskless Christmas parties. We have a new video over at TomHartman.com, and it's an interesting one. The phrase, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, has a really interesting history, and the exploitation of that phrase. And that history by right-wingers in 20th century America, late 20th century America, now 21st century America, also has a fascinating and rather grim history. But it's used as justification by right-wingers to say, oh, you know, poor people, their poverty is their own fault. Check it out. It's over at TomHartman.com. I mean, this is truly breathtaking. I, I don't know how to describe it beyond just truly friggin' breathtaking. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind today?
1: Good morning, sir. I just wanted to share with you, all this turmoil and stuff is
3: all over the Facebook page and stuff, and you're talking about this Calvinist idea about a, a chosen group of people to lead our to lead our nation or uh, to drive us into the the great big, asshole. There's a lot of union people like myself who are drawing union pensions who are anti-government. They are anti-Biden. They are. It's like they don't care about their pensions. They don't care who brought them the 40 hour work week. They don't care about how much is at stake if we lose. And they all drag me down into their quagmire, uh, the great America. So I love you, Tom, and your show's great. Thank you. A bright Thank light you, in my life.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think your analysis is spot on. Thank you very much. Anne in Santa Fe, you think I'm wrong about something?
1: My interpretation of the biblical message is extremely narrow. So basically, John Dominic Cross, and you know, that's not the message, Tom, that Martin Luther King and Desmond Tutu followed from the biblical message. No, of course that not. I'm not characterizing it as such.
2: I'm saying that this right. is neo-Calvinism. This, this was the message right. that John Calvin... It wasn't that,
1: actually even John it.
2: Calvin's main message, but it was adopted in made, England for over 200 it. years as the main message you, to justify the royal family.
1: But you, you, the way that you presented it, I would submit, is that, that the, the Bible says the following, and the Bible says many things. There are many voices, and there are also voices that make the case the that the dominant... The dominant biblical message is economic justice and human rights. It's right there from I when agree. God freed the slaves.
2: I agree. From the Jubilee to the New Testament, I agree with you, Ann. I, I'm still baffled by your criticism. I was actually quoting Paul for all our for all of sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And of course, Genesis. Share the Tom Hartman program with your friends. We're available on Sirius XM, Free Speech TV, Pacifica, commercial stations nationwide, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, on the Tom Hartman app, and you can even tell your smart speaker to listen to the Tom Hartman program. Okay, here's this is, this is uh, Lois Partially has done just a really great deep dive research into the effects of COVID on people who don't die from it. Everything we're hearing or most of what we're hearing in the media is people who die of COVID. And, and, and yes, that's an outrage. You know, we've lost more people to COVID than we lost in World War II. We have exceeded any measurement of an insane national emergency. We have one out of five COVID deaths on earth is right here in the United States. And yet we are one, we are 4% of the world's population, which I think is what? One out of 20 or thereabouts. It's mind boggling. And it turns out that it's the result of an intentional policy to spread COVID as far and wide as possible. Kristi Noem really did her, you know, her part in South Dakota by having the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally, where half a million people came to South Dakota and then traveled all over the country. And boom, you've got mass infections all over the country. This was all a Republican plan. So let's look at the long-term effects. This is uh, Lois Parsley's piece you can find over at Vox.com. It's titled Long-Term COVID effects, COVID-19 effects, The Many Strange Symptoms Explained. She starts out with a story of Heather Elizabeth Brown. She was th- in her 30s. She was active, healthy. She said, but they had to coach me how to breathe after having COVID. Six months later, Brown is still very ill. She's been hospitalized for blood clots and has lingering health. This is six months later has lingering heart problems, nerve pain, and extreme fatigue. Even making breakfast is now out of the question, she says. And she's also experiencing severe brain fog, so she can't work. Almost a year into the pandemic, writes Lois partially, there have not yet been thorough, long-scale studies to determine the true prevalence of long COVID, but preliminary research suggests that somewhere between 10 and 88% of COVID-19 patients will experience at least one symptom for months. Some of these can be life-altering. One study found that 50% of non-ICU patients reported a significant change in their cognitive functioning. In other words, how they think. Anthony Fauci, quote, this is a phenomena that is really quite real and quite extensive, end quote. The sheer volume of people getting sick means there are already uh, millions of Americans who have and will soon have long COVID. Now, what are some of these differences? Number one, both men and women have reported sexual and reproductive symptoms following COVID infection. This was a a survey of 640 long-term COVID patients reported more than 200 total symptoms, including testicular pain, urinary problems, and menstrual changes. COVID-like symptoms, quote, brain fog, fatigue, dizziness, joint pain, all of that is happening. They're saying these are the symptoms of menopause, but people are getting them in their 20s and 30s. Long COVID can also significantly impact male reproductive systems and testosterone levels. During acute illness, the testicles are attacked by the virus directly because they are one of the highest sites of ACE2 and expression. This condition, quote, frequently presents in men with erectile dysfunction. They also found autoimmune orchitis, which is an inflammation of the testicles, which leaves you infertile afterwards. You can no longer have babies. It affects the arteries in the penis, making erections uh, difficult or impossible. Erectile dysfunction is highly prevalent, particularly when you look at the groups who have had COVID from the study. By the way, something that you should tell all those guys with, the, with their guns running around without masks. One study found 81% of ventilated patients developed delirium. One in five patients experienced long-term cognitive impairment. One out of five, they're long-term cognitively impaired. New research suggests that around half of asymptomatic, that is people who have no symptoms, can have damage, permanent damage to their lungs. Large blood clots... Are cause tissue damage requiring amputation. Smaller clots can restrict blood flow in the lungs, impairing normal oxygen exchange. This is among people who are not hospitalized. If clots travel to the heart or brain, they can also cause strokes or heart attacks. As 23-year-old Riley Behrens recently suffered after corona infection. Before this, she said, I was a healthy young athlete with no major medical conditions. A study published in the Annals of Vascular Surgery found a two-fold increase during the pandemic in major amputations and a spike in the number of stroke patients. In half of 172 hospitalized coronavirus patients, the scientists found auto-antibodies. The, when these are injected into lab mice, the animals develop blood clots. COVID-19 patients, half of 1,216 COVID-19 patients, again, not hospitalized, in one study also had heart abnormalities and one in seven had severe cardiac issues. People can present without any lung symptoms, just have heart and brain involvements, as Eric Topol, a professor at Scripps Institution. It continues. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro-kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two ends, or enter the code Hartman with two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
2: Today in our book club we're reading from Reconstructing the Gospel, Finding Freedom from Slaveholder Religion by Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove with a foreword by the Reverend William Barber II. This is from page 61. The chapter is Living in Skin and the subtitle is American Slavery and the Problem of Bodies. America's original sin of race-based slavery is rooted in our bodies. While most of us will do what we can to save our own skin, our bodies bear the curse of human rebellion sweat of the brow and the pains of labor. The sins of our fathers and mothers bear down on bent backs and sciatic nerves. Slavery has always been one means humans employ to skirt this curse. To the victor belong the spoils is an ancient truism of war. Often in human history, the spoils include people, but war is not the only way some bodies become subject to others. In the opening lines of the Exodus story, the Bible says, quote, A new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt, end quote. In the messiness of politics, favor comes and goes. But the people who are in power almost always make sure someone else carries the weight and does the dirty work. The unique contribution of slavery during the establishment of the American colonies was the employment of skin color to assign a class of people to perpetual servitude. Originally, white and black people came to the colonies as servants of the settler class, But race-based slavery emerged as an efficient means of building up the plantation economy by permanently assigning people of African descent to the status of slave. Africans who survived the long journey across the Atlantic Ocean, often chained to one another and packed prostrate in the hold of a ship, became human chattel in the New World. In explicit contrast to the enslavable black flesh of Africans, people of European descent began to imagine themselves as white, By virtue of their whiteness, and for no other reason, they imagined a divine right to own black bodies. For the people whose saleable skin rendered them subject to use and abuse, this arrangement was obviously anathema. Quote, and before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave and go home to my lord and be free, end quote, they sang when white folks weren't listening. Tactics of resistance varied, but people of African descent always knew in their bodies the basic heresy of race-based slavery. And in their bodies, white people knew it too. To comprehend the moral contradiction of America's original sin, you must consider what it meant for a young white man to come of age on a plantation. Imagine yourself growing up amid a pastoral landscape in the early 19th century, a half-day's horse ride from the closest city. As for any child, your world is the people you've known and the places familiar to you since birth. The big house, which you've always called home, and the barn where your daddy tied a rope swing from the rafters so you could fly down from the loft, and land safely on that mound of hay by the horse stalls. For as long as you can remember, you've always had your studies and your chores to do. Mother always insisted that you learn responsibility, but you always felt closer to Betsy, the enslaved black woman who changed your diapers and cooked your food, and picked you up when you fell and skinned your knees. You never remember running down to the barn to play without Betsy's two boys, and Imogen, the girl between them, the one that was born just three months after you. For you, a son of so-called privilege, puberty means beginning to make sense of why you kissed Imogen down in the hay bile when you were six and why you both always knew you could never tell a soul. It means coming to terms with the fact that you and Imogen both share your father's nose, and it means beginning to internalize an arrangement in which you will one day inherit as property, the woman who both competed with your mother for your father's love and nursed you at her breast. If you were a good Episcopalian, as most plantation families were, this is also about the time you would be confirmed as a living member of the body of Jesus Christ. The Southern writer Lillian Smith wrote a century after slavery's end, now at one's feet there are chasms that had been invisible until this moment. Describing an experience shared in silence by generations of white Christians, she observed how, quote, one knows and never remembers how it was learned, that there will always be chasms, and now across the chasms will always be those one loves, end quote. To observe that race-based chattel slavery was a gut-wrenching experience that white people also experienced in their bodies is not in any way to equate their suffering with that of African Americans. It is instead to try to understand the lived experience that informs the ways they read the Bible and imagined their world. Because even though slavery ended in 1865 in the United States, most white Christians went on reading the Bible and seeing the world around them exactly as they had before. Growing up Southern Baptist in North Carolina, I memorized scripture in the King James Version and engaged in a serious program of discipleship as a white adolescent without ever giving serious consideration to the Southern in our denomination's name. Then in 1995, the summer before my freshman year of high school, the Southern Baptist Convention issued an official apology for its endorsement of slavery. There it was. We would separated ourselves from our American Baptist sisters and brothers some 150 years earlier in order to stay Southern and keep our slaves. Enough water had passed under the bridge for our elders to decide it was time to bury the hatchet. They said they were sorry. But their concession stirred up old fears. Before I'd finished high school, a conservative movement within the denomination insisted we had become too liberal, took over the denomination, and forced everyone who worked for the International Mission Board to sign a statement of faith to which they added an article about female submission. It was the first time in my life I'd seen people on the local evening news being interviewed about my church. The book, Reconstructing the Gospel. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. I'm talking about somebody on Twitter just said, you know, I just listened to the first half hour of your show and I'm having a panic attack about COVID right now. I totally get it. We all should have been having panic attacks about COVID back in friggin' January. I mean, we knew by February that many of these symptoms were associated with COVID. The Chinese had published this in late January. But Donald Trump and the Trump administration not only lied to us about it and told us, oh, it's just like the flu, but then they actually encouraged Americans to get infected. The entire entire Republican Party has adopted this as basically an article of faith. Yes, getting infected is a good thing. Don't wear masks. And so we've got these mask holes who are running around, going into stores. You know, the, the viral video of the young woman who was working, I think, with Burger King and some a couple of mask holes come in and start, you know, saying, oh, it's our, we have a religious exemption. And she's like, okay, I quit. I'm tired of putting up with these fools. And, I, you know, there's a thread over on DU, same thing. As, as somebody's kid was working at a, a fast food restaurant where the manager refused to enforce mask policies. He got it. Gave it to his parents. Now his parents have it. They're post DND. I mean, this is nuts. The Republican Party has, and the Trump administration have openly embraced a policy of infecting as many Americans as possible. So let's take a serious look. I think it's really important. And those of you on hold, I'll be picking up your calls in just a few minutes, but just give me another four or five minutes here. Take a serious look at what happens to people who don't die, who don't even end up in the hospital, but who get COVID. Because there's 17 million of us right now who are symptomatic enough to go through all the hassle of finding a testing place, waiting in line or making an appointment, having something shoved halfway up into their brain, you know, up into their sinuses anyway, and, you know, which is very uncomfortable. I know several people who've been through it now. And on top of those people who are symptomatic enough that they're thinking, gee, I better get tested There's an equal number who have no symptoms but are going to be suffering, many of them are going to be suffering these symptoms long term. So back to the study, this is from Scripps Research Institute. He said people can present without any lung symptoms, just heart and brain involvement. These include cardiomyopathy, cardio heart, myopathy, you know, inflammation, dysfunction, I'm not sure the exact, but a disease of the heart muscle that makes it harder for your heart to pump. Myocarditis, or inflammation of the heart muscle, pericarditis, inflammation of the pericardium. That's the layer, the two layers of tissue that surround the heart and protect it. One study of 54 college athletes who had mild COVID cases found that a third have pericarditis, even though they had been symptom-free. One-third of them now have heart damage. Kate Meredith of Beverly, Massachusetts, for example, first got sick in March. Now she has tachycardia, an abnormally elevated heart rate. I get up to do the dishes and it jumps to 140 beats a minute, she says. Can you imagine your heart just jumping out of your chest just because you stood up to do the dishes for the rest of your life? Maybe. I mean, we don't know. It's it's only been around for a year. But, you know, typically with any other disease that causes these symptoms, it becomes long term. Frances Sipson, a psychology lecturer at Coventry University in the UK, had allergic reactions. This is called mast cell activation syndrome. She had, had headaches, rashes all over her body, and extreme fatigue that has completely debilitated her. One peer, again, I'm I'm reading from a study. I just tweeted the study out, by by the way, or I tweeted it in response to somebody, so you may have to look at my tweets and responses uh, of this actual study that I'm reading to you. This is from Vox.com. It's by Lois Partially. It's titled Long-Term COVID-19 Effects, The Many Strange Symptoms Explained. One peer-reviewed study found that a surprising 40% of of, of COVID-19 patients showed some kinds of neurological manifestation and more than 30% have impaired cognition. Cognition is your ability to think. Cognitive processes. These include brain fog, extreme fatigue, difficulties with short-term memory, intense headaches, tingling, and numbness. Davis, the, the woman I mentioned earlier, uh, for example, when she stands, blood pools. Now, she's, she never was hospitalized. She had mild symptoms. She's still at home. But when she stands, blood pools in her lower extremities, making her feel faint and exacerbating her brain fog. The nervous system continues to release hormones to tighten her non-responding blood vessels, increasing her heart rate and making her entire body shake. A 40-year-old woman in Los Angeles has headaches, seizures, and hallucinations. They found RNA from the virus. They found the virus in her cerebral spinal fluid. It crosses the blood-brain barrier and gets in the brain. In fact, they note in the article, the virus can directly enter and damage cells in the brain's chorid plexus, which has cells with ACE2 receptors. Those are the receptors that the virus uses to get into cells. The brain is normally protected from your blood, so it's a big problem to have that barrier penetrated, writes Lois in Vox. Neuroinflammation can cause emotional and behavioral changes. One woman in the UK, she's talking about her 15-year-old daughter. She now has headaches, uh, fatigue, extreme anxiety and emotional outburst. She's not a crier. She's normally very stoic, Sammy says. But over the last few months, she's had irrational outbursts. She's sobbing her heart, heart out. In the journal Lancet Psychiatry, Lancet, the, the, prime, the, the preeminent medical journal in the world, out of the UK, a study of 62,354 COVID patients. One in five were diagnosed with a mental disorder within three months of testing positive for the coronavirus. Gretchen Drown of Portland, Maine, also says her 15-year-old son has headaches and extreme fatigue, which worsens when when he exerts himself uh, like trying to do his schoolwork. The American Academy of Pediatrics suggests that 11% of U.S. COVID-19 cases are children, with over 1.4 million children contracting the virus as of December 3rd. Symptoms reported in children are similar to adult long-haul cases. Headaches, extreme fatigue, difficulty concentrating or forming new memories, anxiety, depression, tachycardia, dysautonomia, lingering or recurrent fevers. I mean, this is what Donald Trump said. Oh, let's give it to as many people as possible with his Fox News science advisors. Thank you, Rupert Murdoch. I guarantee you, Rupert Murdoch is not going to let himself get exposed. Neither are his sons. Neither are the executives at Fox News. Neither is the talent at Fox News. They have all been living in very isolated bubbles, but they're perfectly happy to tell Americans, hey, it's just a fine thing. Fools. Anyhow, Mark in uh, Sauk City, Wisconsin. Hey, Mark, what's up?
1: Hey, Tom. I was going to say an antidote to the Calvinist ideal is maybe people should reread A Christmas Carol. Uh, there's a reference in there to the surplus population, also the um, the last image of the second spirit worthy the two starving children beneath his robes. But here's a little bit more obscure one that, to quote Dickens, There are some upon this earth of yours, return the this, this spirit, who lay claim to know us, who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, Selfishness in our name were as strange to us and all our kith and kin as if they had never lived. Remember that and change charge their doings on themselves not to us. Yeah, it's uh,
2: echoing the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, Mark, thank it, um, you. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Charles Dickens. And Christmas Carol is a brilliant story, and Charles Dickens absolutely got His father was thrown into the debtor's prison. I mean, he understood. You find that in David Copperfield, too. Mark, I got to run, but thank you. Lewis in Gadsden, Arizona. Hey, Lewis, it says you had COVID?
0: Yes, Tom. I uh, survived it, barely. And afterwards, the following problems I'm having now is. I'm a PTSD vet, and it's increased depression, short-term memory, tremors, and crying spells for someone that never cried in his life. Now, it, mm-hmm. I, I'm going through a lot, and I guess. people better take COVID serious. I've had friends that have died who didn't believe in it, and I have a friend that's right now in ICU, and she never believed in it. Thank you for taking my call. God bless you. Yeah.
2: Thank you, Louis. And God bless you, too. I I hope you feel better. Louis, thank you so much for the call. Wow. And now we're hearing, I read the story just a little bit ago in the newspaper, and I frankly, I don't remember the city. I'm sorry. But it was about ICU nurses, or not ICU nurses, but nurses in hospitals who are being offered the vaccine. In this particular hospital, I believe it was in Texas. In fact, I'm certain it was in Texas. And the nurses in this hospital are being offered the vaccine. These are not the nurses who are working in the ICU who see the COVID every day. They're the nurses who listen to right-wing talk radios are driving home. Half of them are refusing to take the vaccine because they say that they heard on right-wing talk radio that it's just a scam, it's a conspiracy, or they saw on the internet that you know it's it's uh, whatever. I don't even want to recite these conspiracy theories. You know what they are. I mean, this is how, how, you know, when the president of the United States says something, a lot of Americans actually believe it. You're listening to Tom Hartman.
0: Visit TomHartman.com
2: for audio and video archives. And believing the president of the United States is not just killing people. We're going to have probably at least six or seven million disabled, permanently disabled people from this disease. On this week's Science Revolution, Trong with Tom Steyer's Climate Justice joins the show with a vision for a green, red, and blue climate new deal. That vision includes Native Americans, a blue new deal for our threatened oceans, and a green new deal for our coastal communities. Dr. Michael Greger joins us. Have you gained a few COVID pounds in his new How Not to Diet Cookbook? Dr. Greger tells how you can eat your way to a healthy, sustainable weight with plant-based meals. Terry Mills, president of the National Nursing Network, drops by on why a national Nurse for public health is important. Plus, Laura Packer, the founder of Healthcare Voices, explains open enrollment under the ACA to help the 16 plus million uninsured Americans get themselves enrolled. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are found. Marco in Los Angeles. Hey Marco, what's up?
1: What's up is Calvinism and all this religious craziness? And James Madison, in the very first in his amendment wrote, Congress shall make no law establishing religion. That was changed to Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Those two things are totally different. Madison made our nation secular, but his 15 amendments were crammed down into 10 amendments, and the pro-slavery people and the... um white male domination people, they ripped out and changed what he wrote. If we would go to his 15 amendments, this country would be changed overnight. Overnight.
2: Yeah, I agree, and and by the way, it wasn't just Madison who, who wanted a wall of separation between church and state. It was the representatives of every state except Massachusetts. Massachusetts almost didn't join the union over this issue. Because the Puritans and the Pilgrims had landed in Massachusetts. Massachusetts at that point in time in 1789 was the only state that was still statewide enforcing a monthly tax on every family to support churches. That in many of the Massachusetts cities was still enforcing a law where people, the churches would send people to go door to door and drive people out of their homes. And if you didn't show up in church, you were subject to fines or penalties or you could even be put in the stocks. And and that's how crazy it was in Massachusetts. That's why, when he was 17 years old, Ben Franklin left Massachusetts where he'd been born and moved to Philadelphia. And he said, I absented myself from their assemblies and happily never returned. And he was talking about the
1: churchgoers. Yeah. And how are they different than the Trumpsters and everybody who's denying the pandemic and spitting on people and not wearing masks? That level of religion, whether it's anti pandemic or religious craziness that is what madison said no that isn't here but as i said the pro-slavery people and religious nuts like you're talking about and the white supremacy white male supremacy people they changed all of his words and we're living in it now if we could just go back to that if richard wolf we yeah, we're not, would come we're not on going to talk tomorrow, about though.
2: it yeah it's right there yeah. But I think the big question is, did Trump pursue this, you know, mass infection strategy because he actually believed his two Fox News science advisors and he thought that this is actually the best thing for America? Or because it was the easiest way to go? Because he's, he's such a lazy SOB that he didn't want to have to sit in on meetings. He didn't want to mobilize the federal government. He didn't want to have to maybe raise taxes on rich people to pay for it. And so this was a convenient excuse. I don't know the answer to that question, but I tend to believe the latter rather than the former. I don't think he I think in terms of science, I don't think he cares. I think it was an excuse for him.
1: Trump's diagnosis of uh, bone spurs was accurate, but they're not in his feet. They're in his head. That's our issue. (laughs) There you go.
2: Marco, thanks for the call. And thanks for listening to KPFK. Stick around. Hey, we have a new video from over at TomHartman.com. It's about curing type 1 diabetes, which is a pretty amazing thing. Type 1 diabetes is where the uh, cells in the pancreas that produce insulin are actually destroyed. They're gone. Type 1 diabetics, uh, typically it shows up in childhood. And uh, without insulin, people die from it uh, fairly young. With insulin they can live a good long life, but a University of Alberta researcher, Dr. James Shapiro, back in 1990, pioneered a transplant system. Now, The problem with that was that people had to use immunosuppressive drugs for the rest of their lives because they had just gotten you know, a partial pancreas transplant from another person. But now uh, he's successfully worked out a way of actually curing type 1 diabetes. We can't do it legally here in the United States, but they're doing it in Canada. It's amazing. You can check it out at TomHartman.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you and uh, Dan in Chicago. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind?
0: Hello, Tom. Uh, God bless you for all that you do. When you you can convince seven million people and maybe not as many maybe more than that that a snoot full of covid is okay but quality affordable comprehensive health care is not okay is socialism? you have to stop yes and you have to stop talking to those people republicans have convinced A segment of this country through, and I'm an African-American male, I'm 56 years of age, these people, the, I think, catalyst is, it's hate. This is hate based on race. And they're using it to do a lot of different things. This whole thing about immunity, that's quackery to start with. But when you can convince people of that, and also convince them that health care is not good for them. There was a caller uh, about two months ago, you were talking to a caller, and you used an airplane analogy, and if 900 people every day were dying, would you get on board a plane after 10 days? And the man said, yes. How do you respond to that? How, how do you continue to talk to someone like that? And, and, and I will say this, and I'm going to hang up. Tom Hartman, who is known for loving the quality of a good debate, told the man, I have to stop talking to you. You're too stupid to continue to talk to. I know for you, Tom, to call someone stupid and hang the phone up it's on us is tough. You have a good day, Tom. God bless. Hey,
2: thank you, Dan. Great to hear from you. Diamond in Hollywood. Hey, Diamond, what's up?
1: Hi, how are you? Good, so I far am so good. Be- good, I'm calling because for two things. I have read that, Some rich, you know, Republicans are getting COVID. I believe it's because they're malignant narcissists and they believe they're invincible. (laughs) However, I'm calling to say that basically the stimulus is really important for those of us who are performers and gig workers to get because a lot of us have qualified for unemployment. But because of kinks in the system that are going on right now, you know, it has been months. We haven't gotten anything. And You know, I just think that that's so necessary to get.
2: Oh, yeah. This is Mitch McConnell has been refusing to pick up either of the two COVID recovery bills that the House of Representatives passed once one in May, one in July. The HEROES Act in May. I I don't think there's a name for the one in July, but it was basically half the HEROES Act. And he's refused to do that because he wants to blackmail the Senate. He wants to cut a deal and he needs maximum leverage. And maximum leverage means that you don't give in to anything until today or tomorrow, because this is when Congress is going to break for Christmas. And everybody knows that all the benefits and all the protections, including eviction protections, it all ends in two weeks. And, and Congress will not be back because, you know, next week is Christmas and the week after that is, is New Year's. And this is the game McConnell is playing. And it's a game, by the way, that he's been playing for most of his career. This is what he does. The man's a sociopath. All he cares about is power and his own power. He has no principles. He has no governing theory other than I'm in charge. He has no economic uh, ideology. He's never expressed that. It's just whatever's going to gain him power. Uh, Diamond, spot on. Thank you. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up?
1: Yeah, hey, uh, when you mentioned Calvinism, it reminded me of Dorothy uh, Parker's quote when she said humorously,
0: if you want to know what God thinks of money, look at who he gave it to, obviously.
1: But as far as the uh, the part about ED for people who mm. get the disease, Erectile dysfunction. They, should play it up. Yeah. they should play it up as much as
0: possible. My ex-wife worked in the jewelry business, and they used cyanide to strip gold off of things. And... These Russian jewelry workers would stand over the tank with the cyanide, and she told them stop doing it, and they didn't care. And one day she said, you know, if you do that, you're going to become infinite. And they all backed off. And uh, <laughs> uh, that was the thing that, that real. we really should run a TV
2: commercial there's a couple in bed and, and the guy is going, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, honey, I thought I could do it. But since I had COVID, mm-hmm. I just can't. Mm-hmm. And she's got right. this harump look mm-hmm. on her face, you know, and right. maybe make right. him look like, you know, one of these uh, so-called militia mm-hmm. guys. <laughs> right. Uh, right. That would be effective, Bill. That, that would be a PSA right. that the right. Ad Council should be working on uh-huh. right now
0: right right i also wanted to extend my respect to the mcconnell family to becoming a one income family now it's going to be tough i know is, you're talking about elaine chow
2: oh because uh, yeah. well elaine chow still you know is the air the she's worth hundreds of millions of dollars she's the heir to a shipping know, but fortune the one so in, she still income has an income. family now yeah yeah i got it bill thanks a lot for the call The Tom Harvin University Book Club. We're reading from Walking Your Blues Away How to Heal the Mind and Create Emotional Well Being from Chapter One How Trauma Sticks and the Mechanism of PTSD. One of the enduring mysteries in the field of psychology is why the same event produces such different memories and responses in different people. Citing a report in the New England Journal of Medicine, the writer noted the researchers surveyed more than 6,000 soldiers in the month before and after service in Iraq and Afghanistan, almost 17 percent. Of those who fought in Iraq, reported symptoms of major depression, severe anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, compared with 11% of the troops who served in Afghanistan. In World War II, post-war depression and anxiety was called battle fatigue. In World War I, we called it shell shock. The question isn't so much why it happens. We know GIs in war do and see horrific things. The question that perplexes us is why post-war anxiety and depression haunts some veterans and not others some vets see harder combat than others, but even that doesn't account for the statistics. There are still huge variations among individual soldiers and in how they respond to the same event. The same is true in the civilian world. Some people develop PTSD and others don't, facing the exact same circumstances. In order to understand why some people are still shocked months and even years after a traumatic event, it's necessary to first understand how the brain and mind processes trauma. The brain is a complex collection of deeply interconnected parts and processes. I'm vastly oversimplifying here for the purpose of description. And in light of those caveats, here's a possible scenario that's not inconsistent with much of what's known about brain function. There's a part of the limbic brain, or visceral brain, called the hippocampus that's believed to function as a one day scratch pad for memory. Everything you experience throughout the day is stored in the hippocampus. In order for the impressions of the experience to become a long term memory, they must pass through the hippocampus into the rest of the brain. People with a damaged hippocampus remember past events but have extreme difficulty learning new things. Although the rest of the brain is able to integrate recent information from the hippocampus in relation to stored memories, in order to understand that one thing happened a week ago and another thing happened a month ago, the hippocampus knows only one time today. During the night as we sleep, the hippocampus dumps its information from the day into the rest of the brain for processing, sorting, storing, and disposing of irrelevant information. As the brain is processing the details of the day from the hippocampus, we experience what we call dreaming. Many sleep researchers are convinced that when we experience REM sleep, most of the events, including the traumas of our daily life, are processed. The processing of information management completed when we wake up in the morning, the hippocampus is once again empty and ready to record another day. The problem emerges when the hippocampus is carrying information that's too much or too hot for the larger brain slash mind to handle. When a recent memory is too strong to be easily and unremarkably processed, it presents in our dream world as a nightmare. If that still doesn't download the information from the hippocampus, then the trauma either becomes buried in the subconscious of process, Freud referred to as repression, or it gets thrown back into the hippocampus the next morning. It's as if the brain says, whoa, that's too much for me to process in one evening, please hang on to it for another day. When the person wakes up in the morning, the information is still there in the hippocampus, still remembered and known and felt as if it happened that same very day. The conjecture that the hippocampus knows little about the more distant past accounts for the unique feature of true PTSD that the person feels every day as if the past event happened today, or at least in the very recent past. The trauma is always front, center, new, fresh, and raw. The consequences can be psychologically and emotionally devastating. Every day is affected by a past event. The traumatic event never passes from now until then. And is never processed and filed away in the memory banks, where it loses the power to cause pain and problems on a daily basis. The impact of this on the mind and the emotions is staggering. Brain scans even demonstrate that before a PTSD event has been processed, the amygdala, a part of the brain responsible for strong emotional states, such as those involved with survival or the perception of a threat to survival, and the hippocampus are not functioning normally. The brain scan makes it possible to, in a way, see the effect of the stuck memory. After processing the memory, these parts of the brain usually return to normal functioning. One of the key concepts of many schools of psychology is that human beings are most functional when every part of the mind has access to all other parts. In particular, this functionality is a matter of having full access to positive resources, such as memories of times when we were successful in our undertakings and the good feelings we associate with those accomplishments. Working from this level of functionality, then, When we take on a new task, for example, we first remember times in the past when we attempted something similar and accomplished our goals. This functionality can be accessed in all endeavors, from embarking on a new love relationship to making your first public speaking engagement. Memories of past accomplishments and capabilities are stored in parts of the brain far from the amygdala and the hippocampus. The amygdala and hippocampus part of our brains' most primary and primitive structures lie deep in the brain. Thus, having a negative memory stuck deep in the hippocampus blocks the pain and fear associated with that memory from reaching and associating with positive memories and resource states, which are housed in more distant parts of the brain. So, in other words, if we don't get these traumatic memories out of the hippocampus, then everything coming in gets filtered through that and blocked having access to resource states that can help and heal us. So, the rest of the book is how to get that stuff out of the hippocampus. The book is Walking Your Blues Away. Tom Harbin here with you, Doug in Denver. Hey, Doug, what's up?
1: Yeah, Tom, on radio, have you looked at the demographics of talk radio? Because my son said young people don't listen to it and the millennials just took over the baby boomers in terms of population, he thinks it's not going to matter in a few years.
2: I would say probably over a 20-year horizon. Yeah, maybe. I don't think these legacy radio stations or any of the radio stations are just going to go away because it's, it's a source of free data. You know, you don't have to connect to the internet to get it. You don't have to pay an internet service provider or any of that kind of thing. But you're absolutely right. The demographics of talk radio listeners, both conservative and progressive, tend to skew 40-plus and 50 plus actually heavily. The advantage over the short term of that, let's say over the next decade or two, is that that is not only the population that has the most money right now, so they're attractive to advertisers because you can sell things to them. They're not the ones who have massive educational debt. And I mean, they, they grew up before you went broke going to college. Before Reagan's damage was fully done, and secondly, they vote in numbers that just overwhelm the young vote, and young listeners are more and more listening to podcasts. And one of the things that we found with this show, you know, we t- we take our three-hour show every day, and the full three hours are available as a subscription podcast. But we also boil it down to a one-hour podcast that we put advertising in the front and, and middle and end of, just like a normal podcast. And that podcast now has got a huge following and uh, among young people. So I think that you can multi-purpose and multi-platform, and a lot of radio stations are doing this. I know our affiliate in Chicago, our affiliate in, in Minneapolis, uh, both are building you know, substantial web presences, and some of our other affiliates do as well. So I don't think that this is a dead-end radio. I, I don't think at all. Or if it is, it's going to be far enough down the road that you know, my concern is the next two presidential election cycles. I'm looking at the next eight years. If we don't get a solid progressive footprint in Washington, D.C., and Democratic control of the House, the Senate, and the White House for a, a long enough time to actually do something, I am very, very concerned that this country is just going to go. Either, it's either We're either going to devolve into some form of civil war, and not necessarily a shooting one, but just, you know, and to some extent, we're there, I suppose, a cold civil war, but also we're going to, again, flirt with authoritarianism, or we're going to continue to, because the next Republican president, I think, is going to be even worse than the last. So anyway, Doug, thanks for the call. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's up?
3: Hey, I used to be a regular
2: uh, caller
3: of um, right-wing talk radio, and uh, Mm -hmm. so much so that I uh, was actually rated by Talkers Magazine as one of the top 10. I only hit top 10, number 10, but uh, I did reached that level a
2: couple oh, of times how about that, Larry?
3: and uh, they started systematically um eliminating my calls whenever we got near an election, and that indicates that they mm. were aware that talk radio does influence elections and and oh, i was yeah. and I was hurting their their chances of getting um getting power
2: well and and, and uh, the thing of, is i you know, go ahead, I'm sorry, I thought you were done
3: one of the uh programs that uh, still took my calls after they actually they started banning me for life but one of the programs that still took my calls instituted a new policy while I was waiting online and uh, they stated that uh, we're not going to let people call once a week anymore from now on you're gonna to have to start calling only once every three months or four times a year versus 52 times a year hmm. and I was still That's on the weird. air I was still online waiting for him to put me on the air and he said these words over the air he says when you lose your credibility, you have nothing. And then he clicked me offline, indicating I was hurting his, his, uh, his brand. But I was hurting his brand, and when you hurt their brand, they get rid of you.
2: Yeah, I know. I When I lived in Atlanta back in the 80s, I used to call into Neil Bortz's show, and I would have, he's a libertarian, he's no longer on the air, but we would have arguments about libertarianism, and, and he was willing to do that but he was unusual in that regard. And and by and large, and and I think that Uh, You know, I'm unusual, I suppose, in that regard, because if a conservative calls into my program and they time to time, you'll hear them calling in. When conservatives call into my program, I want to take them first because I want to have those conversations, because I really and truly believe that my positions on Medicare for all or doing away with student debt or a Green New Deal or reforming policing in the United States. I mean, you know, ending homelessness. I really believe that not only are my positions right, but that I have the data to defend those positions. And so and I, I, I love I, having those conversations. But, but the guys are the right, they're selling BS. And they do not like it when you call their BS. Back to you, Larry. I have the same opinion that you have regarding
3: my positions. And what started happening before they banned me for life is they started putting me on hold. And there were several times where I would be on hold for three hours. I was a disagreeing caller, and they were putting me on hold for three hours. I had to go out and buy another cell phone, and I would call the radio station with a second cell phone and tell them, you're putting me on hold for three hours.
2: And sometimes that would work, and it would put me on the air. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy, and it's also economically crazy. I mean, it costs us three cents a minute to, you know, for every caller, and you know, if somebody's on hold for hours, that's money. <laughs> so you just don't want to do you, you that. You know something? Um, you know something
3: that's funny? They actually told that? me that uh, that was that was the case, and they, then they asked me, why would we do that?
2: Yeah, but it it cost, yeah. Well, that's very strange. Yeah, because it costs us money. It doesn't cost the caller money. Uh, unless you've got a weird plan. But Larry, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. Thank you all for being with us today. Tag, your it. Get out there, get active. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and people around you. Go out of your way.
0: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.